the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, it is a delight to have with us Congressman John Shattig. Uh, Congressman Shattig used to represent the old 4th Congressional District here in the Phoenix area. He is the uh, head right now of Shattig Associates, LLC. And we bring him in uh, most most Wednesdays he's in town for our advanced course in constitutional concerns. Concerns. I like Let that. Let it not be said that I don't take my assignments seriously. There you go. Uh, John Shattig told me that we were working on a mutual project, and he said, read my dad's book and read it carefully. How to win, election, uh, how to win elections? How to win an election. How to win an election. And I did. And to prove it, I pointed out that this book, published in 1964 thanked and acknowledged one Chuck Colson of Massachusetts in the list of eight or nine people in the acknowledgement section. 1964, Chuck Colson of Boston, Massachusetts. And it dawned on me how funny life is. Um, This audience has big admiration, as I do, for the work of Chuck Colson after 1974. (laughs) And... Clearly what would have happened is Chuck was working. He was an aide-de-camp for a Massachusetts Republican governor named uh, Saltstall, Leverett Saltonstall. Leverett Clearly Saltonstall. your dad worked for Leverett yep. Saltonstall. That would have been a name you grew up with. Absolutely. So, one, of the, one of the senators yeah. uh, that he helped reelect, uh, I guess, in must have been in this 1960 yeah. or 62 right, elections. Right. He worked for the, United, for the Senate, Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee. Right. Goldwater had uh, been made— that's right. Organized labor's number one target That's in right. 1958. Right. And the registration when Goldwater had gotten elected uh, in 1952, I think, at least my memory tells me it was eight to one. It may not have been eight to one, but that's what I stuck in my memory. So in 52, it was eight to one Democrat over Republican. Goldwater wins. So then in the interim between 58 and what, 60, 58, 62? Yep. Yeah. 58 and 62, uh, Goldwater gets on the Kefauver Labor Committee, mm-hmm. which is going after crime mm-hmm. in organized labor. Mm-hmm. And organized labor then made Goldwater up for reelection in 62 its number one target in the country. Right. And so all of Goldwater's Republican friends in the Senate said, see you later, Barry, you yep. know, You'll never be back if go if in a state with registration like that. And it wasn't that bad then. It wasn't it wasn't eight to one anymore. Uh, but still, it was overwhelmingly Democrat over Republican. They said, you know, there's no chance you win reelection. Nonetheless, he did. And though, so then he got, uh, I guess, whatever. He got uh, hired by the senatorial campaign to com- to run all the campaigns or to consult on all the campaigns across the country. And that's when he handled John Tower and Margaret Chase Smith and 
Leverett, Saltonstall, and others. Well, one of the interesting things, to, to validate some of that, not that you need it, but just add it to some of that, I remember the speeches Barry Goldwater would give in 1960 and 62. He would almost end all of them by naming the three biggest labor leaders in the country. So he gave us, and I can't remember their names, but he said you can have a government of constitutionalism or you can have a government of X, Y, and Z, and I just can't remember their names. But he really went after them, oh, uh, yeah. uh, to, uh, Hammer and Tong as well. Absolutely. So it's interesting, though, too, when you think about the sweep of history. So in 1964, when your, daddy wrote the, when your dad wrote this book, Chuck Colson is an unknown person. Within a decade, and a decade ain't that long ago, I mean, a decade prior to this one, Barack Obama was in the midst of his second term, seems like yesterday. Within the course of a decade, everyone in the country knows who Chuck Colson is, and he's serving time in federal prison. But you know what? Not even that is the end of the story, because he reforms himself— and uh, becomes a born-again Christian, yep. writes a huge bestseller called Born Again, which helped popularize the phrase in that year of the evangelical, as I believe Newsweek magazine titled it, 1976. And there was a lot of that going on. If you drove around the streets of Phoenix, you may remember the bumper stickers, John. Do you remember them as I do vividly? I found it. Do you remember the bumper stickers that said I found it? Meaning God. And... It was inspired by this book of Chuck Colson's called Born Again. Mm. And when Jimmy Carter was running for president that year, he was running as an evangelical. Right. And in New Hampshire, he's campaigning, and a woman thrusts Colson's book in front of him on the campaign hustings and says, are you born again? And Jimmy Carter makes national news saying, yes, I am. So there was a lot of that going on. And Chuck Colson, I would think it's fair to say— Changed changed a big part of the world, but also a lot of public policy in this country, particularly the issues having to do with prison and prison reform. Yep. And uh, you served in Congress. He was a force, as I recall, in Congress in the late 90s with not only prison fellowship, but something called justice fellowship. You may remember his lobbyist, Mariam Bell, and people like that, John. Yep. But it just shows you wherever you think the story ends, it just doesn't. You are admiring. It continues. It continues. You never know. And it can go better or it can go worse. You are admiring. I have a, what would you call it, a museum where my desk is right. of memorabilia people bring me. Someone brought me a 1970-something box of Wheaties with Bruce Jenner on the cover winning a decathlon or something. <laughs> well, you know, things change. <laughs> things can change, sometimes for the better. Sometimes for the worst, but you were pointing out, we'll quit memory lane in a moment, but this, it's important that we know what our tablets, how our tablets were written. Um, you were pointing out that it was across the street from here where we are sitting right now that you interviewed or perhaps first met William Buckley. Is that right? Exactly right. Uh, not everybody will remember some of these names, but uh, the uh, publisher of Time magazine at the time was Henry Luce, mm -hmm. and his wife was Claire Booth Luce, mm -hmm. who was the United States ambassador, I'll say this wrong, to the Court of St. James, yep. to, to the Vatican, yep. basically. and uh, To England. To, to no. England or Vatican? The I Holy was, See? 
You tell the story. I'll check well, it out. I, yeah, I'll we need to out. check. And then it was one or the other, okay, but I I'll thought I've it. always thought it was the Vatican, but okay, maybe not. What's out. the court of St. James? Is that England. England? Yeah, yeah. Well, then maybe it was England. I'll check. I'll check. I ought to check that. In any event, the Luces, Henry and Claire Booth, owned a home in the Arizona Biltmore. Uh, by, by that time, the driveway or the entrance to the Biltmore had been changed to where it is now. In the For those who are real old-time Arizonans, the original instant the uh, entrance to the Biltmore, the road took off at this intersection right here, mm-hmm. 24th Street and Camelback, uh-huh. and it was actually a five-way intersection. And on the kind of northeast corner, there was a fifth road uh, that went into the Biltmore. In any event, uh, the Luces had a home there, and I was in high school, and they would make their home available, uh, I guess, to Buckley or others, certainly to... Uh, William F. Buckley. And I heard about this, I guess, at home. And I said to my dad, hey, you know, uh, our teenage Republican club at Camelback High School, also very close to where you and I are sitting, uh, has a newsletter. Do you think Mr. Buckley would, uh, the next time he's here, would allow me to interview him for our teenage (laughs) Republican club at our high school newsletter? And my dad said, I'll ask, see what we can find out. So it all came to pass. So I went up to the Luce's house on the designated day, uh, one afternoon after school, and rang the doorbell. And I was shown in and shown out to the pool uh, behind the uh, Luce's home. I'm not sure it was behind or beside. And Buckley was getting out of the swimming pool in his bathing suit uh, and sat down. We both sat down in lounge chairs on the edge of the pool and i interviewed and you did the interview (laughs) i don't even know i mean for a long time i had a copy of the interview but i'm not sure i could put my hands on it i'll expect to see it next week i'll look claire booth loose uh ambassador to italy you were closer than i was she was the ambassador to italy um she's the story is that she was meeting with john f kennedy in the oval office and in the middle of their discussion he interrupted it to take a phone call do you know the story I don't. And it took him about 30 seconds, and he hung up, and he said, pardon the interruption, just got great news. My textile bill just passed. And Claire says, Mr. President, um, there are many things said of many great men. Of one, it was said he died to save us all for our sins. Of another, it was said he had to sneak into Washington, D.C. by cover of darkness so as to keep the country from pulling itself apart. But of no great man was it ever said he got his textile bill passed. John Shattuck and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, sponsored by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Congressman John Shattuck is my in-studio guest. John, I was talking a little bit about um, three presidents and their crises yesterday, Nixon, Clinton, Biden. And this was in respect to the special counsel's report that came out last week on President Biden, where the reasons for not indicting him were worse than the conclusion that they might have reached, which was to indict him. The federal prosecutors uh, appointed, let us not forget, by Merrick Garland, Joe Biden's own attorney general, found that the current president of the United States is a man of diminished faculties and faulty memory, their words. And I want to come back to all of that in a moment. Um, 
But first, I want to run this thought by you, because ever since that report came out, he has uh, had his um, his advisors, friends, colleagues, what I would perhaps even call Praetorian Guard, going into the media, I think um, debasing themselves, saying such things as, that's not the Joe Biden we know. Joe Biden is sharp. Joe Biden is focused. He is running meetings like you wouldn't believe. Of course, there's no film of any of this because it's not true. And I just, I was just reflecting on the air yesterday, John, Congressman, that how odd it is that they would debase themselves like this because no one believes them and I don't even think they believe themselves. And I was thinking about that in respect to other special counsel and reports about presidents that could be invoking conversations about resignation or perhaps even the 25th Amendment. It is true about Richard Nixon that when Barry Goldwater and Hugh Scott and John Rhodes went to see him and said his support on the Hill has collapsed, there's nothing left for him, no no one left to defend him in his party. You know, say what you want about Richard Nixon, but he lied not to save really himself or about his own actions. He lied really to save his underlings who had done wrong. He was protecting them, people like Chuck Colson, people like John Ehrlichman, people like that whole retinue of Watergate names that are so familiar. Not that it's a great thing, but when you think about Bill Clinton and when he sent out Madeleine Albright and all those people to lie for him, it was about saving his own bacon. It was about Bill Clinton sending out his Praetorian Guard to save himself for his misdeeds. And you're seeing the same thing here, John, with Joe Biden. These people are going out to save Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not doing anything to save them, and they're debasing themselves, just as Bill Clinton sent out his people to lie for him, and they debased themselves. And I just think it's ugly stuff, and I can't get my arms around why people in Washington would do that, why they would go and knowingly lie to the American people to save someone they know is guilty, guilty, guilty. Power. That's it. That's it. At least it was when I watched it in in Washington from the lowliest of locations, which is a member of the House. Uh, uh, power motivates people to do all kinds of things. And by defending uh, the uh, conduct of a scoundrel, uh, which they have an opportunity to do, uh, they can gain power. That individual stays in office and stays in power. They're more powerful, and that's what they want. And and uh, you can I, I I wouldn't defend or try to justify what Nixon did, but uh, he he kind of he did not debase the rule of law. And uh, you look at uh, the situation we have. In the whole subject matter of, okay, we have two national leaders, both accused of uh, mishandling top secret documents. Um, Somehow they put together arguments on the periphery of how they both acted under the circumstances, but both engaged in what was known to be improper conduct. They now say come up with an excuse and say, well, we can't prosecute Biden. And they say the reason is that he's not competent and couldn't be convicted. 
But, oh, boy, we're sure going to continue to comp- to prosecute Trump. And some lawyers say it's the strongest of the cases against him. And yet we're supposed to stand in front of the American people and say, well, this is a great example of equal justice under the law. And it it just shocks me. They're lying to defend Biden shocks me. But what also shocks me is the the double standard, which is so incredibly evident in there's one set of justice for conservatives or Republicans in Washington, D.C., and a completely different set of justice for liberals or Democrats or the woke. And and that's what makes me sick. And what what it takes me back to is and I think I've told this story before. I'm riding around Washington, D.C. after I left Congress. I'm riding with various cab uh, drivers. They're from all, all parts of the world. And they tell me what they love about America is the rule of law. Yeah. And I say, well, what do you mean by that? And they say, well, in my country, we had laws, but they only applied to the poor people. Mm-hmm. They were only enforced against the poor people. If you were rich, you could get away with anything. And here in America, your your laws apply to everybody. And yet we see an example like this one at the highest levels of government where there is no rule of law. It's the rule of power. The Democrats have the power to uh, raid Mar-a-Lago, now even more in question than ever, uh, and now to prosecute the former president. But the current president, maybe more because he's still in power than that he's not competent, gets to skate. They're afraid of him. They're afraid of the Democratic establishment. The entire East Coast gets it. Oh, uh, if you want to survive in this age, you better do what the Democrats want, because by and large, the Democrats control the federal government, even when Republicans, like now, control one house of the Congress. And we all know that in the long run, Democrats keep getting elected. They keep exercising power, so we better kiss their backside we could understand perhaps some of these influences of power your dad wrote another wonderful book on this the remnant actually where he talks about the power of the lobbyists and special interests and ideology too we could perhaps live with it because you know, in a certain sense, everyone has the right to use whatever form of speech they have to influence whatever legislation they can. But we could live with it because we had a media that was willing to investigate and yep. take seriously these things. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about how that estate has collapsed in the service of everything you just said, rather than the insert, rather than the service of keeping our elected officials and unelected officials honest. Both sides honest. Both sides honest. When we come right back, John Shattig and I will address the media and um, really the double and triple standards of, of fairness, investigative journalism, and justice in America. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth Leibson. My guest in studio is Congressman John Shattuck, who uh, represented Arizona's uh, fourth, old 4th Congressional District for uh, many years. Uh, how long? Ten years? Sixteen, Sixteen years. Why did I say ten? I don't know. That was, but <laughs> that's bad. No. Anyway, forgive me. No big deal. Why did I think ten? 
I knew it was 16. I obviously didn't get enough. No, press. no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, no. I knew it was 16. I'll tell you why I knew it was 16 later. Anyway, my bad. Um, he is now the head of Shattuck Associates, uh, LLC Consulting and uh, Law Firm. John Shattuck, you were making the point that, you know, the entire East Coast is and the establishment of the entire East Coast these days and for some time now has been liberal left, which is what explains how you can have raids on Mar-a-Lago and these multi-count indictments against former President Trump. But you see Joe Biden doing things which are perhaps even more egregious. In fact, I would argue are more egregious, but gets a recommendation of no indictment. And I said, well, we could perhaps tolerate these inequities of treatment uh, back in a day where we had a press that was uh, aggressively independent uh, and willing to investigate leadership regardless and willing to investigate power regardless of party. I, uh, my audience will get sick of me quoting this, but I think it's an important quote nonetheless because it comes from two of the most liberal justices of the Supreme Court, Hugo Black and William O. Douglas, in the mm. Pentagon Papers case. They wrote, the press was to serve the governed, not the governors. The government's power to censor the press was abolished so that the press would remain forever free to censure, criticize, the government. It just doesn't happen anymore. Washington Post had a piece headlined, Washington Post headline, Republicans impeach Mayorkas after embarrassing first failure to do so. How's the word embarrassing in the headline? New York Times had a piece Bias. on right? New York Times had a piece on Donald Trump and Joe Biden's immigration policies, a news piece. And it had in the second sentence, compared to Donald Trump's harsh treatment of immigrants. How did the word harsh get into a news piece. These are small little details, but they've given up on any effort to investigate any part of this president. You couldn't find anything about Hunter Biden's associate, Tony Bobolinsky, in today's papers. He testified yesterday. Um, so it's become what was somewhat tolerable has become completely intolerable because we don't have an independent media anymore. We do not have an independent media anymore. Uh, and they don't even make an excuse for it. They don't pretend even to be unbiased uh, and they don't pretend to even tell quote unquote both sides of the story I, I was just thinking it you know it is pretty clear that if somebody were to show up today and they'd been missing for the last 40 years or been on another planet or in a space capsule and they said what has happened to America you can really answer them with with two things uh, the radical change or changes in American education and the radical change in the media. Uh, there was some bias in the media when I was in grade school or high school, but it was uh, very, very subtle. And when it might surface, it was disapproved. You know, an editor would, would go after a reporter in those days if they wrote a blatantly slanted, or for that matter, factually inaccurate story to benefit one side or the other. Today, it's what editors are looking for. And it's the media and it's education and it's uh, it's everywhere. Uh, it is worse on the East Coast where most of the media is based, like our 
local paper uh, is controlled out of the East Coast. Uh, but it, it is everywhere, and the media simply isn't doing its job as as what we learned uh, journalism or the media were supposed to do, which was to be fair, to be balanced, and to leave their own personal views uh, out of the news. Not anymore, and it makes a huge difference. And you said each of those points were small, but cumulatively, yeah, right. they add up to everything. Right. It, I mean— it's shocking to me how few people realize how many millions of people have crossed the southern border in the last 24 months. Unless you watch Fox News, you, you don't, don't know. know. People don't know. Nope. I, w- I want to pick up on that when we come right back. Congressman John Shattig is my guest, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Coming to you from the 960 Patriot Studio, which is brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Congressman John Shattig is my guest. He served um, in six. He served Congress for 16 years, representing the old uh, Fourth District in uh, Phoenix, the area from which we broadcast and live now. He is also the head of Shattig Associates LLC. You were just telling me over the break, John, that, uh, well, you tell me what you told me that Dennis Prager was saying yesterday. Oh, I just heard Prager, uh, I think I caught him yesterday afternoon, and the the phrase that caught my attention was, and I can't repeat it completely accurately, but it was the effect of uh, no, uh, the ne- never after the left has taken over or the woke have taken over, over uh, has there been... Uh, a tolerance of criticism uh, or of free speech. Um, They simply can't accept it. And so what they do is crush it. And it's true today. You asked, you know, why would these people lie? Well, the obvious answer is some value was greater to them than the truth. And their fear of criticism is fear of the truth. To uh, advance their agenda, which is to empower themselves and rule the world, uh, they can't brook the truth or criticism. So the way they go about it is kind of um, interesting and worth continually pointing out so that people can see how they do this. Um, One is to marginalize oppositional speech, whether it's conservative speech or Republican speech by labeling it extremist and creating the thought pattern, the, the meme, if you will, the, 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 the subtle inference that uh, just as they use the same words for what we used to call terrorists, what they started calling extremists, they now use the word extremists for Republicans and conservatives. Um, Joe Biden, for example, calls Republicans extremists. He called Hamas, last Friday, our opponents. Mm. Republicans are extremists, threats to democracy. Hamas is an opponent. So the use of language in one degree is one way to do it. The other label they use is um, we are uh, peddlers or purveyors of disinformation, misinformation, which they take one further step and try and ban Absolutely. Well, they wanted to appoint a truth czar, essentially. That's right. They in had America. disinformation boards. That's right. Go ahead. No, I just it's the, the notion was just absolutely shocking. I mean, if you want to know where the left is, look at what 
Biden actually proposed that there would be someone, uh, a government employee who would uh, tell people what was the truth and what wasn't. Uh, That's insane in a nation that honors freedom of speech and freedom of thought and uh, uh, tries to encourage it. I mean, just it's shocking. It's jaw dropping. It is jaw dropping. But yet they go on. Yep. So, for example, an election was considered a sane idea. I mean, it should have been. Right. People should have said, what? Right. But. They, they, this they embraced Mao's it. I cultural, think she, did she get appointed for a little while and she, then quit? She, she was about to be, and then, and then, and then we rose up and and embarrassed them so much. One of the few times, it's actually a victory we should celebrate, but it's a victory over something we shouldn't have had to fight in the first place. Right. Which is probably why we don't take the take the W on it as much as we should. But you know, John, they do it to such a fairly well they can change an election. As I remind. The audience say what you want, argue what you want, uh, identify what you want with machinations in uh, election or in the elections of uh, 20, uh, 2020. Um, but the truth of the matter is that 51 intelligence officials exploited their expertise to a media that had to know they were not telling the truth and labeling Hunter Biden's laptop. Russian misinformation and Russian disinformation and a Russian campaign scheme, the media had to know that that couldn't be true. They had to know that there was something skeptical to raise an eyebrow over. And yet they were slathering and uh, slathering all over those 51 officials because that's just the gift they wanted to suppress that news story. Well, and 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 and. I suppose not really in defense of the media, but in justification of the media, they could say, well, the FBI, more than anybody, absolutely knew it was a lie and they stood silent. So let's see. I'm being interviewed by an FBI agent in my home. They ask me a question. I say nothing. I said, I can't answer your question or I don't know the answer to your question. In point of fact, I know the answer. I'll bet you the FBI is coming after me and saying you knew the answer and you didn't tell us, except the FBI knew darn good and well that what those intelligence agents were or yeah. uh, officials were saying was a bald faced lie. They knew it. They're a law enforcement agency. They are the law enforcement agency. And they did nothing in the world. You and I grew up in a Washington Post a New York Times, on any newspaper, perhaps even a newspaper from a state that we wouldn't expect, a Tallahassee outlet, who knows, some newspaper would see it as its duty to question, double question, and hound doggedly institutions like the FBI and the CIA to show that this was, in fact, accurate. And they just raised the white, raised the white, hoisted the white flag yep. as quickly as they could because it served the interest of the leftist ideology, which the media is now the mouthpiece for. Yep, the, those those fifty one uh, officials, experts supposedly in intelligence, uh, I don't think they exploited their expertise. They exploited the fraudulent reputations they had created, where we all believed they were honest and truth tellers and experts on intelligence only to discover they were happy to lie. Well, I think the three most important words we all need to remember now as conservatives, as independents, as people who care about perpetuating what Joe Biden keeps calling a democracy, what you and I would refer to as a constitutional republic, the three most important words are 
do your homework. Thank you, John Shattuck. Good to see you, sir. My pleasure. Thanks. <laughs> Portions of this show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have a heck of an investment opportunity for you in a secure and collateralized portfolio where there are absolutely no fees. There is no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. And you get your monthly statement, of course, with no surprises. And you can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. All that flexibility and control invested in you. But best of all, you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest the letter Y then R E F Y dot com, or give them a call at eight 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 Y Refi twenty four eight 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 Y Refi twenty four. The aforementioned uh, Dennis Prager by John Shattig um, often likes to make distinctions between liberalism and leftism. And when you take into account everything John and I were talking about, the, um, the, the current spirit of the left in this country, whether it's the uh, use of and abuse of language to marginalize and silence its opponents or whether it's to actually attempt to silence them uh, in, in, uh, in reality, you know you're not dealing with liberals anymore. If you want a concept of, of liberalism, the concept is that it was one that was open to norms such as freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of conscience. It was open to the notion of liberty because it knew that in a republic such as ours, as opposed to a kingdom or a fiefdom or a tyranny or an authoritarian regime, the people had a say here, and the people had a say because we didn't think people who governed by dint of blood or bullet would have a corner on the market of truth. And I think often of Learned Hand, who was perhaps someone once known as the 10th Justice. He was a great judge who never made it to the Supreme Court, but whose writings were often cited to. He gave an important speech where he said, the spirit of liberty is the spirit which is not too sure that it is right. The spirit of liberty is the spirit which seeks to understand the mind of other men and women. Spirit of liberty is the spirit which weighs their interests alongside its own without bias. Spirit of liberty remembers that not even a sparrow falls to the earth unheeded. Spirit of liberty is the spirit of him who, near 2,000 years ago, taught mankind that lesson it is never learned but never quite forgotten. There may be a kingdom where the least shall be heard and considered side by side with the greatest. And now, in that spirit, that spirit of an America which has never been and which may never be, nay, which will never be, except as the conscience and courage of Americans create it. Yet in that spirit of that America, which lies hidden in some form, is the aspiration of us all. That's something a liberal would say. It's something a conservative would say. It's not something a leftist would say or agree with. Happy Valentine's Day for those celebrating Lent. May, uh, excuse me, Ash Wednesday. May it be a holy and helpful day to you. God bless and class dismissed. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.